Welcome to Highlands Church Audio Sermons. This message is titled, What God Wants, and was given on September 3rd, 2023, as a part of our series called Knowing Jesus, the Gospel of Luke. It's taught by Pastor Bob Wade out of Luke chapter 8, verses 4 through 15. Here's Bob. Let me ask you a question. If I told you that God wants something from you, and what that something is, and why or at least what keeps us from giving it to God, would that be information that you would want? Because that's what the passage this morning from Luke chapter eight is gonna tell us. That God wants something from us. Something more than simply wanting to go to heaven. I know that's one of the things that so often you'll hear people that you know, confess Christ will just say, I, I just wanna get to heaven. God wants more than that. God wants more out of our lives than that. You know, the truth of the matter is God has put some serious thought into you and I. He has a purpose for our lives, a plan for our lives. You know, there's an Old Testament verse, if you're one of those people that like to write down verses and underline in your Bible, and you know, maybe you even got it on a card that you've memorized it somewhere. And in Jeremiah chapter 29, where, you know, God is reassuring the children of Israel that he's really got them. He's got a plan for them. And, And so he says, I know the plans that I have for you. Well, at times as Christians, you know, we hear things like that and we go, well, that's great. God has plans for Israel, but, you know, does he even know that I exist? I mean, he doesn't really have a plan for me. And that's simply not true. Absolutely, God has a plan for you. In fact, in some ways, God has a plan for every single believer when it comes to some things because they're all gonna be alike. For example, in Luke chapter 10, uh, Jesus said that the great and foremost commandment is to love him. It doesn't say that the greatest commandment is to believe. It doesn't say that the greatest commandment is to respect. It says the greatest commandment is to love him. Do you? I mean, I have to, I'd really think about this as I was preparing and studying this week. Is that really true of me? Do I really love God? Or is it mostly just a healthy respect? In the same passage, he stops and he says, by the way, it's not just that you should love me the most, but I expect you to love other people too. And not just the ones that love you. People that maybe see it differently, that are different than you. He expects us, according to Acts chapter one, to be witnesses for him. In other words, to tell the story. He expects us to serve him. I mean, in in Ephesians chapter two, verse 10, it tells us that we were actually born. He decided even before we were born that we were gonna do that. He expects us to prioritize him. The Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter six, verse 33, he says, we're to seek first the kingdom before anything else. See, if I'm simply living with a desire of just get into heaven, if that's all I want, then I need to have a little bit of a reality check here that what I want and what God wants are two different things. This truth that God wants something for us is important enough that in the chapter here, a large group of people from different towns even begin to come and sort of gather around where Jesus is at. And Jesus will basically tell them, you need to listen for a minute. 
He stops off in verse eight and he uses these words. He says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now think about this for a second. If you got the king of the universe telling you, hey, I, I want you to pay close attention. You listen to what I'm saying here. It's probably pretty important. Context-wise, this is a parable. Now, parables are not meant to be uh, interpreted exactly the same way. Like, if you were to go to the writings of Paul, you know, like through the regular books right in the middle of the New Testament that are not the gospel books, you would see that they are written sort of differently. They're written in a very Greco-Roman kind of form that, you know, things kind of build upon each other and everything adds up in a perfect sort of way. But if you go to the Gospels and you read through the Gospels, the Gospels were not written in Greco-Roman form. They were Middle Eastern form. So there's a lot of storytelling there to teach a truth. And what you've got to do is you've got to be very careful here that you do not interpret a Gospel the same way you use to interpret like the writings of Paul. In, in the gospel message here, it's very important that you understand that the story here is more important than the tiny little details. What are they trying to tell as a truth in this story? That's what we're going to get at. We're going to work hard here to try to make sure that we have the story down. Now, they can be difficult, I, I mentioned here, because even in this particular case, Jesus' own disciples are going to ask him in verses 9 and 10 why he taught in parables. And Jesus is going to give us an answer here that you can find here not only in Luke 8 but also in Matthew 13 that, that he is not going to give the secrets of heaven to those who hate him. It's time, basically, it's not his time. He's not, he doesn't want to be arrested yet. He's not going to be crucified yet. This is not the time to have all these people who hate him to rise up and, and, and use this against him. Now, this parable is about four different types of soil. The soils here represent our hearts and the condition of our hearts. And that's going to make this very practical. Because every single one of us here right now fit into one of these four. And so I'm going to ask you to, to do something. I'm going to ask you to be very careful here and figure out which one you are and whether that's your doing, God's doing, and is it pleasing to God? Are you becoming who God wants you to be? One more thing too. This parable is not about who's saved and who's not saved. This parable is about being who God wants you to be. So let's stop and we'll read this together. Luke chapter eight, if you got your Bible, starting with verse four, says this, and when a great crowd was gathering and people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable, a sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot and the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock. And as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among thorns and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. As he said these things, he called out and he says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. 
The ones along the path are those who have heard, and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while, and in time of testing, fall away. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and the riches and the pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. And as for that in the good soil, they are those who hear the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart, and bear fruit with patience. Pray with me. Father, I pray that uh, you would allow us, God, to look and, and take an honest assessment of who we are. And do we want exactly the same things for our lives that you want for us? And if not, God, would you move us to be faithful enough to move towards those things? Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so the first thing you run into here in verse five, the first soil here is the hard soil. Let me go back and read that again. It says, the sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devour it. Now, if you're kind of just reading this, you know, in a very uh, simple reading here, it almost looks like the sower here or the farmer isn't paying attention to what he's doing. Because you would think, you know, if you ran out to Home Depot or Lowe's or something like that, and you buy a bunch of seed in a package, you know, you've got probably a specific place you want to put that in the ground. I mean, so you're going to be very careful, and, you know, maybe you've dug it up, and you don't want it in the grass growing, and you don't want it around this other plant, but you've got an area, so you prepare that, and you put it right there. But this one sounds like the person just walking around doing this, throwing seed out everywhere, kind of indiscriminately. Some of it lands exactly where you'd want, like in really good soil, soft soil, soil that looks like it's prepared. And some of it lands along a path that people walk on where the ground is hard and nothing grows on it. Now, just because some of the seed lands on the hard soil does not mean, though, uh, that the, the sower here is being careless. Actually, what it does is it just reveals the difference between modern farming and ancient farming. You know, in modern farming, uh, you know, I don't know how many of you maybe were raised close to a farm or on a farm or something like that. You know, my wife was raised that way and, and, and you know, I, we saw farming all over the place. You know, the, the farmer goes and gets the tractor out and, you know, he puts the plow behind him and he starts down his path and he tears everything up and there are times that he will actually go this way too and just really try to mix it up so the soil gets nice and soft and then, of course, they go out and they put all this fertilizer in and mix it up just right so the pH is perfect, you know, for the soil. It's, you know, it's incredible what they do with modern farming, right? And they produce you know, a lot. But ancient farming wasn't like that. Ancient farming, the sower would go out and just sow seed out all over the place, and then they would come back, you know, hopefully with maybe a mule or a horse out front and put the plow down into the ground, and they would just start plowing around every place that they threw out the seed. So it's different. Even the way you look at it has to be a little bit different. Now, verse five tells us is this soil is trampled underfoot, which means the ground is so hard that the seed doesn't have a chance to go down into the ground. You've probably all seen that. If you've done any hiking at all, you know, you've gone up someplace and then you can see there's paths through, like even if you drive down the 51 and, you know, you come by, you know, the mountains right there, you can see paths that people have taken 
you know, somebody's not out there every day with a hoe, you know, like cleaning off stuff. We just walk on it so many times that nothing grows in that spot. That ground is hard. It's rock hard. And it says then that, that, that the, the sower would sow seed on that and it didn't get it under the dirt. And so it made it easy for the birds of the ground or the air to come in and eat the seed. Much like, you know, in October when you decide you're gonna plant your winter lawn, you know, you're gonna go out there and you're gonna, you know, cut it down nice and short and throw your seed out, maybe throw a little stuff on the top. But the birds are still gonna come in and grab, you know, stuff in different places. That's what happens here. Now, as it stands, that type of soil, that type of heart, is totally unproductive. It produces nothing without plowing. This is the hard soil. It's the hard heart. The only given reason why it's hard is it's been trampled on, stepped on. To me, this is the picture of the the heart that has been wounded, burned, discouraged, Maybe this person somehow feels like God has even let them down, hasn't been there, hasn't given them what they asked for. You know, I, I will tell you that there's, there are times you're gonna ask God for something and he's not going to give you the thing you asked for. God is a good parent. He's not gonna give you bad things. Sometimes God has a deeper plan. Even in the things that, you know, we might ask for something, we think, well, this is the right thing to ask for. For example, the apostle Paul, you know, in, in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, he comes to this place where he says, you know, I've got this problem. I've got this thorn in the flesh. A lot of, you know, historians believe he had a sight problem. He couldn't see very well. And he didn't like that. He liked having the freedom that he had to go and, 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 and serve the Lord anywhere he wanted to. And he, when he wanted to pick up and go or he wanted to see what was going on, you know, he could do all that on his own, but his sight got bad to the point that he needed other people around him to guide him to certain places and to to put him in a spot where he could stop and preach and do all those things around him. He didn't want that, and so it says that three times he went to the Lord and asked God to take it away, and you know what? God didn't. You know, for many people, if you say, well, man, it seems like a righteous thing, and I asked God and he didn't do it, I'm not gonna trust him anymore. But he doesn't get angry with God. In fact, he matures. You see, what he realized that his own freedom, allowing him to come and go, that wasn't the issue for God. God wanted him to be in a spot where he's training up those around him to do gospel ministry. So one of the guys that even had to walk with him during that time was this physician named Luke, which is where we're studying from today. Why? Because he doesn't see very well. See, sometimes God has a different plan than we have. Coming out of that, then, then Paul was able to stop and say in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, that God, your grace is sufficient for me. It's okay. I see what you're doing. Now, in verses 11 and 12, Paul, Jesus here, excuse me, is going to give the explanation of verse 5. He says this, he says, now the parable is this, the seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. 
So the seed represents the word of God. It's sort of preached everywhere to every single heart, no matter what kind it is. But then it says the birds come along and they eat the seed. Verse 12 here actually mentions the devil. Now, of course the devil is anti-gospel. Put that together with a really hard heart and you can see that someone's gonna be completely negative towards the things of the Lord. That doesn't mean that that will always be the case. Yeah, Paul at that time was hard-hearted. In fact, he would have been, um, a, he was a really bad guy. He, he took groups of people and he, he sought out Christians in different places and when he found them, they grabbed them and they took them to the, the authorities wrapped in chains and they were either thrown into prison or they were killed all on Paul's recommendation. He had a hard heart towards the gospel but God has a business of changing hard hearts. Ultimately, verse 12 says, these people have not believed. Then you see the second soil there in verse six, and that is the shallow heart. He says, and some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. I drop down to verse 13 because he's gonna explain that. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, they receive it with joy, but they have no root. They believe for a while, and in times of testing, fall away. They hear, but they have no root. They come in looking excited. It seems like they just can't, you know, they, they just are thrilled to be there. They show up at church. They sing the songs. They sign up for a group. They ask if they can volunteer. But then ultimately the excitement wears off. Because when the difficult moments of life come, and they do come, there's really nothing there. They have no root. You ever wonder why that happens? You ever wonder why there is that you, maybe you know somebody in your family or there's you know, uh, friends or something like that that just, man, it seemed like there was a time they were on fire for Christ and they just wanted to do it and then all of a sudden they just begin to fade and then they're just kind of nowhere. I mean, this has been bugging me for such a long time that it's been one of those things that I've, you know, been doing all kinds of reading on and studying on. I ran across this guy who was a Harvard psychologist and a Christian, really strong Christian, who wrote a book about this back in the 1940s. And I think he was right on. He said, you know, the reason why faith lasts or doesn't last very often has to do with our approach to faith. He says, you really have to decide one thing. Is it about me or is this about Jesus? He goes, if it's about me, then you have people that are thinking, well, hey, I just want to get to heaven. I just want to be forgiven. I just want, you know, to have rewards in heaven and to have streets of gold and have everything, you know, and just live forever. That's what I want. Very often, if, it, you know, if your faith is built on what do I want, then it only is going to last as long as you keep getting what you want. But then he said there's another group of people that faith is not about them. Faith is all about Jesus. And they are so enamored with Jesus. They are so in love with Jesus. They're so taken by his life. They can't imagine anybody would not want to know Jesus. They have a tendency to grow.
It's important that we get to the place where Jesus is the one that we want to please. Now, there's a third soil. You see in verse seven here, this is the busy soil. It says, and some fell among thorns and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. The busy soil is something that actually does grow. The, the thorns, they grew up with the seed, but then it says it choked it out. Now, verse 14 will tell you why here. It tells that these people, they seem to be ready to grow. They seem to want to get involved, but they seem to also get sidetracked. And the, the busyness sort of becomes a negative effect on them that they don't grow and they don't produce anything spiritually with their lives. Paul says this about him in verse 14. As for what fell among the thorns are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and the riches and the pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. You know, they, they don't seem to have a hard heart like the first one, like the first soil. They don't have a shallow heart like the second soil. They have a distracted heart. They have a heart that has priority issues. A heart that's busy. It's not evil. It's busy. You know, the Bible warns us about having so many things in our lives that, that place Jesus in a position where we can prioritize him further and further down the road. John writes and he says in 1 John 2.15, he says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. Paul would add to that in 1 Timothy chapter 6 when he says that really the problem here is that when I love so many other things other than Jesus, I begin to have these priority issues that have a negative effect on me spiritually. So he writes this, but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and hurtful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all sorts of evils. It is through the, 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 this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many a pang. You know, there's, there's an old saying that I, I remember you know, hearing many, many times. It says, if you're committed to everything, you're really not committed to anything. That's this heart seems to be committed to everything. Wants this full life. Yes, I want Jesus, but I also want this, and I want this, and I want this, and I want this. And the plate that they have of everything that's in their lives seems so vast and so big, and like it or not, maybe they didn't even intend for it to be like that, but Jesus is not at the top of the list. We'll go to church when it's convenient. We'll seek God when it's convenient. By the way, I don't know if you notice this or not, but the problem with the first three soils here is all a depth issue. The first soil has no depth whatsoever. It just hits the hard ground and stays right there. The second soil, you know, really goes down and really hits on a rock, and it's very thin. In fact, it's too small to even have root. The third soil, the depth problem here is, is it has really decent debt, but the problem is, is that the weeds and the thorns are at a deeper debt, and so they grow stronger, faster, bigger, and they're able to choke out the word of God. Now, there's a fourth soil. Verse eight 
gives us the soil of the open heart. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. And as he said these things, he called out and he says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. This is the, the, the one that the spiritually your life produces out there for the Lord. This is the life that God wants for us. The first three hearts here produce nothing, no fruit whatsoever. This heart does. This is why Jesus is actually telling us this story, this parable. Because this is the heart that he wants. A heart that's tender, that's deep, that has its priorities in order, that produces spiritually. You know, our staff have been working on how we communicate, you know, truths like that for a while. I mean, they've really been working really hard on this with Kevin and Ed and the guys and, and, and everybody else involved, Kat has been involved in that. How do we help people live productive spiritual lives? It came down to three simple things. First of all, you gotta grow in your faith. You gotta grow personally, which means you're gonna need to be in God's word, you're gonna need to be in prayer, you're gonna need to become a steward of everything that God gives you. You're gonna need to be a servant. But then besides that, you need to engage in community. You need to be connected to other believers. There has to be somebody there that when you stumble, they can help pick you up. Or when they stumble, you're doing your part and you're there to help pick them up. You also have to learn to live on mission. You have to realize the fact that, you know what, God placed you here you live in a neighborhood around people who need to hear about Jesus. Your kids go to school with people that need to hear about Jesus. You shop at a market that the people that go in there and they shop too, they need to hear about Jesus. I mean, you live on mission. We all need that. It's so, um, this parable, it seems like a very simple parable, but I will tell you that it's very much like church this morning. See, every type of heart that is in this parable is, is represented in church this morning. But I want to encourage you that if you have a hard heart, there's hope for you. Jesus can break the heart of stone and give you a brand new heart. In the book of Ezekiel, he told the, the Israelites in Ezekiel 36, he says, a new heart I will give you, a new spirit I will put within you, and I will take out of your flesh the heart of stone and give you a heart of, of flesh. You see, Jesus is the great healer. If you've been wounded, he'll fix it. He understands your pain. He understands rejected. In fact, there's nobody that understands rejection more than him. He gets rejected every single day. People blame everything on him. If you, um, if you have that hard heart, he has a plan, a tender one. Yes, it probably involves plowing. But it'll change you. Maybe you have the shallow heart. There's hope for you there. This is the heart that's so shallow because it spends all of its time looking for the answers in life. 
So this is the person that, that, that goes through every kind of self-help thing they can find. They, they take classes, they read books, they, 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 they study everything they can. They get into physical discipline because maybe that's you know, the answer to all happiness. They, they, when no one's looking, they, they pull out the horoscope because maybe the answer is in the stars. I don't know. You know maybe it's in relationships. If I could just find that person, if I could just find that, that right you know, guy or that right girl, boy, I'd really be happy. I'd have real peace in my life. No. Because none of those things will bring you the peace that you really need and that is peace with God. The only thing that's gonna change your life is to put your faith and trust in Jesus. That's how we get peace with God. The third type of heart here also has great hope. This is the busy heart. You know, when you examine this heart, you realize this person wants the right thing. They just got priority issues. Well, I can encourage you, Jesus can help you with priority issues. That's why he said, seek first the kingdom. We need to stop and ask God to help you get priorities in your life. To help you overcome the worldly cares and the concerns and the conquests that are out there taking this from you. There are also people here this morning that simply want what Jesus wants. You know, I'm gonna ask the worship team if they'll come back and they'll join me. This is the person with the open heart. These are hearts that love God and wanna know him and wanna be close to him and want to do what he wants you to do. The issue here, I will tell you, in this parable is not the sower. It's not even told who it is. Could that have been, you know, like a, a picture of Jesus? Maybe, but it could also be a picture of anybody that tells the story. It's not the sower. It's not the seed. Seed here is incredibly powerful. The word of God, you know, we find from Hebrews chapter four, verse 12, the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. It's able to do anything in our life to, to change us completely. Romans 1.16 tells us that the gospel message is the power of God for salvation. So it's not the sower and it's not the seed. The issue here is very simple. What is the condition of my heart? How does God see my heart? Let me encourage you, there is no heart that is here this morning that has gone too far. None. There is no heart that is here that cannot be changed into exactly what God is calling you to be. The Bible is not a, a book that's just full of some redemptive stories. The Bible is the story of redemption. Oh, a perfect God would give his only son his greatest possession to die for us so that we might be his, transformed, changed to the place where we give our lives up willingly for him. This is the story of mercy and grace. He didn't have to do that. But he did. And he wants something from us. You ever heard of John Newton? 
In the midst of our worship this morning, we sang one small part of one of the hymns that he wrote. Newton was an English slave trader. I don't know if you knew that or not. About the lowest form of scum you're going to find, the traffic and other people's sorrows, misery. But after he heard the gospel, he repented. And he became an abolitionist and an anti-slave fighter and ultimately ended up becoming a pastor and he wrote that hymn, Amazing Grace. Listen to the words again. Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. The gospel can change anyone. It was meant to change us. It is not meant just so that you can feel good about where you're gonna go and, and, and you're gonna get rewards and things like that. It is meant to bring Jesus into your life. That you would love him. That you would know him. You would spend time with him. I want to encourage you this morning. This is the time for you to be able to tell God, God, you do with me what you want. Whatever it is you want, God, that's what I want. Whatever it is you want, God, is there something that has to be moved? Move it. Is there ground that has to be plowed? Then, then plow it, God. Is there depth that needs to be given because I've been living a shallow faith? Then deepen me up, God. But I want what you want. I want to encourage you that when we're done here, that there are going to be people that are going to be back by that sign back there that says, follow Jesus. They are there to do one thing, and that is to give you great advice on how you can get involved in those three things we mentioned so that you would grow personally, you engage in community, and you would live on mission. Because if you do that, you will start becoming that soil that is perfectly right exactly what God wants you to be because you will be involved with Christ, involved with believers, and involved with the lost world would encourage you, make sure you stop by there and find out about that plan for you. Now, I'll tell you that we're gonna sing a song now. Um, this song is called Make Room. And it, it, for many people, is a confession that they come to a place spiritually where they can actually say to God, you do whatever you want. Let me ask you a question. Are you good with that? Are you okay with God doing whatever he wants with you? Because I'm gonna ask you to sing this as your confession, not just a song. If it's just a song, don't sing it. Are you willing to say, God, I realize you loved me. You, you sent your son to die for me. You've given me new life. Change me. Pray with me. 
Father, I pray that our hearts would be open to do exactly what you want, God. To see if there's any area in our lives that falls short of what you want for us. Lord, you do what you want. You move in us, Lord. Let this be the confession of our faith, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.